guys and girls and everybody. This is Lissa Mandel from the Bitch Seat Podcast. As some of you may know, we are a part of the Atlantic Transmission Network, which is a network that puts out all kinds of great podcasts. A great way to support our show and our sister shows is to visit theatlantictransmission.com and click on the Amazon link at the top of the homepage. It's all the same great Amazon stuff at the same great price, but we get a small piece for sending you there. So if you want to keep shows like The Bitch Seat going, keep us happy, then, uh, you know, throw in your pennies. You don't even have to pay anything extra. Hey, campers. Hey, guys. How are you? Uh, it's the Bitch Seed Podcast. How you doing? I hope all is well in your world. And uh, in ours, it's great, too. And thank you for tuning in. Can't start it out with a lie. <laughs> I don't hope that you guys are enjoying yourselves. No. I hope you are miserable out no, there. That's not what I meant, but you get the thing. Yeah. Anyway. I, I just want to start off on a good foot. What if you have two bad feet? If you have two bad, well, then that it's got to be a positive. That's like a double negative. Ah, two bad feet make one good foot, one yeah. good stump. So if you have two left feet, you're in trouble. But if you have like a left foot on your on your right foot and a right foot on your left foot, you can make something with that. It's two bad feet. I'm Lissa. This is Phil, and our guest today is going to be the incredible storyteller and writer David Crabb, just an excellent specimen of humanity. And um, we're going to be uh, – oh, I thought he was about to, like, come over and touch me, but he didn't. No. Um, before we get to that, <laughs> uh, you know the drill. Um, we are on all the social media platforms, on Twitter at the – Underscore. Bitch. Underscore. Seat. And on Instagram at – The Bitch Seat. And on Facebook as – the bitch seat. Yeah. So we actually recently posted um, a fun live show that we did at QED in New York with Corinne Fisher, Max Ash, and Suni Reyes with Rebecca Vigil as our musical guest. And you should check that out with all the silly pictures that come with it. The pictures are on uh, the bitch seat Facebook. And um, I just learned you could take uh, PowerPoint presentations and turn them into uh, picture folders. So uh, that's going to add an so extra wrinkle. So you can teach an old dog new tricks. Yeah. Yeah. It was staring right in front of me. So we're going to probably jump back to old episodes with all the pictures. Uh, I think that'll be pretty fun because yeah. I have all of the friggin' PowerPoints. Yeah, we should do that because every literally every time I'm on stage, I promise that I'm going to post all the pictures on Facebook and then I rarely do. So then if anyone's yep. actually listening, they're disappointed. So I, sh- I would have been fired from my job months ago if it required me to know PowerPoints. Yes. And I make the PowerPoints for the show. Well, you're rehired. Good. And... Uh, Keep I'm your so eye sorry. on the Facebook page. And um, we love you if you're listening. Yeah. And, Find uh, us on Google Play, iTunes, all Stitcher. that stuff. Stitcher. Uh, download us and email us at, uh, at uh, what's what's the bitch seat's email? The B seat at the, gmail.com. The B seat at gmail.com. That's how you find us. And let us know what you, what you think. And if you have any stories or anything that you'd like us to read on the air, we are happy to do that. We've done it before. Uh, we Please, just... <laughs> we're begging you. Please reach out to us. Tell us we're not screaming into the void. Please, honestly, we just really need to be told that uh, that know. our life and existence is is valuable and worthwhile. Yes, indeed. So, Phil. Hey. Uh, I'm gonna take us back here. Uh, oh boy. To um, 
September of 1996. September of 1996. Six, 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 six. Which was what? This is an, this is from uh, Unplugged, which is the comp- the marbled composition notebook that is now in totally in pieces. From yes. sixth grade. No, if Question you were mark? 96, you were in seventh grade. Was this if this was April 96? No, it was September. September 90. Oh, why am I thinking April? So seventh grade. No, you were in eighth grade. No. I was in, I was just starting seventh grade. Great. Um, and I the point ju- is, this is yeah. like the height of you know. This is the height of angst. This is the height of angst. The first, seventh and eighth grade are were were very difficult years. I think if you're if you're a teenager, I think high school by that point you have an idea of what kind of level of embarrassment you can experience. You have a ceiling. Uh, in seventh and eighth grade, you're discovering what that ceiling is. And it, and it and you find that it's much higher than you can probably stand. Well, and also in my town, seventh and eighth grade were confined to one school. It was one yeah, mine too. brick building. So it's like you could just like just raise the whole thing. Just yeah. burn the whole thing down because that's a hard time in everybody's life. And I'm already made of feelings, like even now, as I'm turning thirty five this month. Happy birthday. Oh, thanks, Phil. Soon. <laughs> I mean, this is probably coming out. Well after. after. Yeah. Yeah. Probably first week in December, I'm guessing. Anyway, Phil, what was going on in the world uh, uh, musically and movie in uh, September <laughs> of 96? Well, uh, in, in terms of movies, uh, we, had, we had a lot of uh, pretty diverse hits in September. Um, we were coming off the high of Crow, City of Angels, uh, in August and a very, very Brady sequel. In addition to the Isle of Doctor Moreau, which is sort of leading us, leading us through the <laughs> August uh, dry spell. Also, at the time, we had Jack starring Robin Williams. Oh God! Escape from L.A., uh, which was not that bad. Shout out to Josh Krebs. Really enjoy Escape from L.A. Uh, let's have a movie night. Um, this whole thing sounds like oh all, yeah no 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 it gets all worse. of America was going through the angst that we were going through. Yeah, bogus as teens. Bogus, starring Gerard Depardieu as an imaginary friend. Uh, that that came Bogus out. Bogus and Jack came out at the same time. Uh, within weeks of each other, yes. Um, Maximum Risk, Fly Away Home, Feeling Minnesota, Ugh. The Rich Man's Wife, The First Wives Club, Last Man Standing, which was uh, a Walter Hill movie with Bruce Willis. Basically, it was it was a fistful of dollars, but in a but with gangsters, and Two Days in the Valley, which was actually kind of a fun. Teenage Phil watching it on HBO movie expecting nudity, but just getting a very good performance from Danny Aiello instead. Well, I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, I love the first Wives Club. I was probably too young to even appreciate it, but I saw same. it in the theater. Same. Uh, I really enjoyed um, uh, the fact that uh, it was I'd, I'd had the internet, so nothing mattered anymore. At this point, this is when I tuned out for a little bit because I discovered friends in the in the machine. Right. Uh, actual friends. You became one with a machine. Yes. And Windows 95 came into my life. Uh, it was no longer In 1996? 96. Yeah. Listen, Windows 95 wasn't even perfect until 98. And by then, they'd moved on to like 98 or 97 and XP and all that. Did we already discuss how I, there was this program on my computer called Bob that was supposed to be for organizing your life? It was supposed to be for adults organizing their lives. Like there was like a calendar built in and... Um, you know, you could set appointments and stuff, but also you could – there were a bunch of rooms in it, and you could choose, like, what lamps and what furniture and what, you know. Yeah. Basically, it was, like, my sad version of Sims. Yeah. 
the reality that you want to create. You yeah. Can, Bob, Bob, can, Bob can make it for you. Yeah. We, we had Dr. Spezzo, which was a voice. Uh, rep- like, like basically a, a fake therapist that would just repeat everything you said. So if you typed it, he would just say it in the Stephen Hawking's voice. That sounds terrible. Why did you need that? Because me and the one friend I had just wanted to have an adult say stupid things. And so like that was our... Oh, that was your Siri. That was our Siri. Yeah. But it but it actually did the job. Um, top 10 hits of September of 96 were uh, Free as a Bird by the Beatles was a thing. The new Beatles song came out. That was so weird to me. It was really weird to me too because I wanted to believe it was a Beatles song. But it's really just a tribute to John Lennon played by... The Threedles. Uh One Sweet Day was the number one song. Ugh, yeah, I remember that. So that's where we I, were. It was a dark time. It was a dark time. It was a dark time, so I'm going to follow that up by reading some dark shit, as I was wont to do. Uh, this is actually... I don't know if I... Okay. Despite the bronze afternoon sunlight which had melted into the day, a curtain of drowsy loneliness was cornering <laughs> me, separating me from the rest of the world. It was as if I was seeing my school and my town and my life from a bird's eye view, and I felt invisible. I could see everyone, but they couldn't see me or know me. So I don't exist? Being ignored is worse than being disliked. I could have so much to offer, but nobody cares to explore my depths. I lay back and wondered about life. Something about today would not let me focus in on the weary picture. Reality was all a far-off days. Why can't I think anymore? Depth is beyond grasp. I really have been taken away. A self-identity, one that was once deep, was once rich and full of feelings, was once mine, has been sucked dry by the desert of shallow monsters, which I call my acquaintances. People I know and talk to. People who can't see as far back as yesterday or as far ahead as tomorrow. People who are afraid to. Hiding behind a mask for so long, I feared I might become one of them. But no, that would be as awful as death. Every so often, in the lonely silence of myself, I can hear an inner voice cry, Here I am! Don't forget me! Lucky for that voice, myself is still rather here. It simply becomes more difficult <laughs> to find sometimes. That was, that's beautiful. Thanks. Wish I could still write like that now, you but it's could. gone. You could. Um, but it's, but you, you, can never, you can never write with that angst because you still had faith that the people around you were actually people. See, like, by that time, I'd already, I'd already realized that all the people around me were just fucking stupid fucking animals. No, that's what I was talking about here. The people around me didn't... I felt invisible because the people weren't, like, really... We weren't connecting but in that way. But the fact that you considered them people is... That's what I'm saying. That's the step that you, like, you were more... This was the fall from grace moment. Yeah. I, I mean, was, there were many of those. There were quite a few. I mean, yeah. There's, there have been a few. Let's do this. Let's do this. Okay, I think that this is an appropriate piece to lead into our guest um, because he is just like the master of all goth everything, as you will soon discover. But yet he is like the shiniest, happiest person I've ever met. He's such a delight. He uh, is a storyteller, and he's got a book, uh, a memoir called Bad Kid, which is based on a solo show that he did. He's also a brilliant teacher. Very excited to welcome David Crabb. Hi. Okay, so we see David in technicolor. He's like a cartoon of himself. Yeah. And he is blazing through the halls of his junior high school. It's Friday! And he's wearing a red shiny cape. Yeah. And his heart is like beating out of his chest, and he is just like throwing glitter on everybody as he runs by them. (laughs) Yeah, and And it's getting all over his black turtleneck. 
but he loves it. Yeah. And everyone around him is like stopping. Like as he goes by each person, they freeze. And then you like the camera pans out and you see him like coming toward the camera and he's just exploding out of his uh, imprisonment. Yeah. It's like 2.38. That's like when school gets out, like the bell just rang, but he was ready. He was ready. He was ready. All right. Now you can talk, David. Hello. We are ready for you. That's who I was inside. Exactly who I was inside. I knew it, but not on the outside. Because the outside one would never wear a red cape. Right. No. Too bold. Too much attention. But you wanted to. I, oh, in, oh, God. Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, thank you for having me. Thank you Hi. for being here. It was so delightful. It took everything in me not to talk about. So all the things that came out when you wrote your yep. composition um, it came out like when I was like a like a really moody, like, uh, like, like middle of art school mm-hmm. was like very angry at everything. Was just getting into grunge because mm-hmm. grunge didn't really show up on that list anywhere. But grunge was like a huge. Well, was I huge. think yeah, gr- I think that was like slightly earlier than '96. Like I think grunge yeah. did it really hit '94, '95. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but uh, I thought that that a that was the best intro ever, and it's so funny because <laughs> like Friday I'm in Love was a song. That album was that was on Wish, mm-hmm. and it came out like after Disintegration, which is kind of like like their goth opus, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, unless you're really with the Pures, it'll be like Early Cures, the best, whatever. That album <laughs> and that song, Friday I'm in Love, is so the bane of so many like Cure fans' existence because it sounds so happy. It was so happy. It was a huge hit. It like was it checked all the boxes for like not goth anymore, right? Basically, right. Um, but it was the song that I think a lot of them love. Like that song is my secret red cape and the glitter yes! that I throw on people versus like the the me on the outside that was just sort of like, you know, smirking angrily by my locker. Yeah, because it Who was Who am I kidding? I was never in school. <laughs> I was Were you not? Locker. Did oh. you did you play hooky all the time? Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, we I got kicked I, I had to actually relocate. Okay. My mom got remarried and moved mm-hmm. to a small town. In Texas also. Uh, yeah, yeah. But we were in San Antonio, which is a very big city. And um, my dad worked on the road. They were divorced as like a fiber optic technician. So he just mm-hmm. lived out of an RV. And when, um, you know, I was really keeping, I presented very well. Like I kept my like scrawled on shirt with pentagrams under like a nice, bu- <laughs> a bu- a nice button down. And like my long hair that I would like whip around at school, uh, I like, kept under like a cap or something, right? So when my mom got married, I threw this hissy fit. I was like, I'm doing so well in school. You know, this will mess up my GPA for college. College. Mind you, I hadn't shown up at like half my classes. It right. just hadn't that hadn't come to pass yet. And then when my dad, my dad, I was just like, I gave a sob story to my dad, and he's like, "Well, I'll just get an apartment that I'll only really be there like two days a month. Are you okay, sort of living on your own? What next year? Wow. Yeah. When you were how old? I was I was sixteen, sixteen, seventeen. Whoa, wow. well, that sounds like a dream, right? Well, my dad was really trusting, and I really I did really present. Like I think my dad saw the guy in the red cape with the glitter. Well, not that gay though, because that would have been a problem too, because right. I wasn't out yet. But um, he, he got an apartment, and that was sort of like two months of really rough. Like I, it all just kind of fell apart. And when I got busted, I had to move to Seguin, the little shitty town that my mother had. Married, who is now my stepfather, who I adore, mm-hmm. which was like for my last year of high school, maybe a year and a half actually. Um, yeah. 
So that was very different. And yeah. there I was like the total weirdo, even though for the goths in San Antonio, I was kind of like more of a new romantic. Like I didn't really wear a lot of makeup. Mm-hmm. I didn't do the cape at like during lunchtime the way a lot of kids did. <laughs> but like, you know, like I wore a little eyeliner and uh, there was some you little vampire okay. stat ponytails and things. But in Seguin, I was like, they called me RuPaul. They were so shocked you by were what so I was. Extreme. Yeah, like little white kid with like occasional one black fingernail was like a seven foot tall black drag queen from Detroit. So I don't really get that. But and how that was a small town. Seguin's a very small town. They're famous. They have the biggest pecan in the whole state of Texas, and it's a giant chipped concrete sculpture of a nut outside the courthouse. And that's what they're known for. Yeah, it has a lot of dings in it because kids would shoot at it with a BB gun when they, were, <laughs> when they were bored in the summer. So, question: First of all, I'm, yeah. I'm going tangerine. Great. I'm going pumpelmoose. That's a LaCroix for those of you listening. And by the way, I did check the website and it is pronounced LaCroix, not LaCroix. Oh, yeah. LaCroix. It's not that AbFab pronunciation, huh? No, it's not the correct French pronunciation. It's the American. So when you moved to that town, still being who you were, did that – did people's raised eyebrows make you want to retreat more into yourself or make you want to like – lean in to it like that that whole goth persona no like there was a summer that i pretty much spent in my room like Mm -hmm. like i didn't okay so we lived out in the country we lived between a a, a, (laughs) we lived between a field of dairy cattle and a primitive baptist cemetery oh god and there was one house down the gravel road and then my step-grandparents were further further down the road so we were off highway 123 my neighbors were, fuck, like, literally, I'd look out the window, there'd just be a cow staring at me. And then, but the cool thing was the Primitive Baptist Cemetery, because when I was having a goth flair, as oh, I like yeah. to call it, because I didn't really have my people anymore, I'd just gotten busted, I couldn't go to town, like, they found all my forgery notes and drugs, it was bad. Um, forgery uh, notes? Yeah, I, would... I forged my dad's signature on, like, 20 notes, and when I, <laughs> when I got busted, I walked into my guidance counselor's office, and my dad was sitting there with all, every note spread out in front of him. That's very cinematic. All right, so and, let's, and then let's... within 10 minutes, I would become a gay man to my father of that all right we gotta That's, jump back because this day. is i would i want to know what was the genesis <laughs> wow. of this of you getting busted because mm. this seems like yeah yeah, yeah. important mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay so um this was during the days of 21 jump street when like yeah. there were like there were actually narcs in schools or rumors of narcs i mean how can we have, how can we ever know they're undercover i know right <laughs> um they look so old um I meant so young. So we uh, so we were like a little goth tribe. And my high school, people hear Texas and they're like, they imagine that it's like rich millionaires like Dallas or yeah. that it's like hillbillies with no teeth. And mm-hmm. San Antonio is like the eighth biggest city in the country. Mm-hmm. I mean, even though it was like mm, the early 90s, it was really, it was a really, uh, it was a big place. And I went to the second biggest high school in the city. So we had wow. all the cliques. We had the preps and the jocks and the kickers and the weirdos. So the weirdos, there were a lot of us, which was, which was nice. But um, somewhere around... My like sophomore and then into my junior year, they're just the misbehaving just kind of got a little bit more intensified. Um, there was a little more acid around to buy. People were obviously tripping at school. Then I just started, were like, you? Oh yeah, I tripped at school a few times or like Scotch Guard or whatever you could get your hands on whippets or whatever. Scotch Guard. Wow. Yeah, smoke weed by the dumpster next door before first period. It was a little, and I was less daring. I was a little bit. I was the wallflower of the group. Right. If that makes you know, like I mean, you wouldn't look at me at like. Kmart and be like that kid's a wallflower. You'd be like that kid's like a like a he like kills cats on a chalk pentagram in the forest. But <laughs> but one but when I was with my people, I was definitely like the the quiet one that just like sort of followed the pack. So mm-hmm. um, I mean, I was fun and I was vocal, but I did what people 
said kind right. of like however bad they wanted to go i was you were there st- you were a, you were still a sheep but you were a black sheep yeah, you yeah, were yeah still yeah. a sheep oh i should have named the book that yes. anyway uh so okay so so things started getting bad uh, kids were kids were obviously high school they were they were skipping out and um one day there was just this avalanche of like calls into the office and it was a big school so when they needed you, you know, they always had someone on office duty that would run with a note. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah. That would be like an elective. And yeah. you knew that it was like the shit when you were sitting in class. I mean, this was the second biggest high school. It was thousands. And the whole PA system would come on and say, David Crabb, please come. I mean, you knew that it was like bad news. And then everyone's yeah. like, ooh. Oh. Yep. So I went actively high, just my luck, because I didn't I actually. I wasn't. I wasn't fucked up at school a lot. That did freak me out. And the classes I liked, I actually liked. Right. So I wanted to be present for. Which but classes was, were those, by the way? Uh, anything related to art. I loved writing. I loved English class. Great. Uh, I hated science. I hated math. I was into history, depending on where we were, and then I would just totally check out of history. Yeah, we're in the same boat like, here. If I was like, I hate yeah. war. I'm not paying attention. <laughs> um, so they called me to the office. And I, I went there, and it was my guidance counselor. Um, uh, I'll just you know, use his real name. Cookie Richard is his name. <laughs> Wait, in the book he? he's Brownie because I like protecting <laughs> everyone. Yeah, he's a man, um, and he has a little silver bowl cut and glasses. And I open the door, wow. and he's standing there, and all my all my oh. letters are facing me, and and I'm already like palpitating. And then I sense movement to the right, and I look, and it's my dad. And my oh. da- and my dad's like you know my dad's like a Texas guy like he wears caps he works on the road he you know served in the military likes cowboy boots loves country music like classic he's country. a man yeah. yeah and I was terrified and I sat next to him and it turned out I would find out later that there were many that that I was one of many like I I would get busted and it was like basically a whole like chain of us like mm-hmm. twenty people got busted for either skipping or drugs some people went to rehab whatever but that day I basically sat down and. Uh, he basically just started asking me like all the guidance counselor questions. People, whenever I tell the story, I think I when I wrote the book, I kind of zoomed in on like the logic of it. But mm-hmm. people would be like, "Was he torturing you?" Because what he did is, I think this is just like if a kid's in trouble, this is this is his like format. This is his like PowerPoint. Mm-hmm. Question one: um, Are you on drugs? And I did a great like I was like, "How dare you?" <laughs> you know, like I was like, "I'll pee in a cup." It was very intense. They bought it. Wow. And then Ballsy. Um, yeah. Oh, oh my God. I felt like my eyes were just like beats. They were yeah. so red. I don't know how that worked. I was about to cry. I was emotional. And then the next question was, David, would your dad understand if because this is how he was asking me. He's like, David, would your dad understand? Because at this point I was like kind of crying. And every, you could meet my dad and know. Like you could feel the heat. Like I think the guidance counselor immediately saw our rapport and saw my dad mm-hmm. and could sense my dad's heartbreak and my dad's rage. Because yeah. I had really I mean, I my dad is, you know, I talk about how he kind of has a temper. I really pulled one over. Like, I mean, he restructured his whole life so that I could, like, keep my grades up and go to good college. So this was, like, yeah. And then the second question the counselor asked was, David, would your dad understand if you got a girl pregnant? And, like, as someone who had come out in the last year to all my friends and was, like, openly gay, I, like, that actually kind of was, like, I better not laugh at that one. Um, <laughs> that kind of elevated. Yeah. And I was, like, yeah, he totally understand. And then at the very end, then the guidance counselor was like, would your dad understand if you were gay? And it was, if you told him you were gay. And it was so, Wow. And, and he didn't mean it like if, because I'm saying you are. He's right. asking me like hypothetical yeah. questions, like if that was your problem. Wow, so but he was like a therapist for you two right there. The that way moment. that I heard the question was like him saying what was real. Right. And, me, and I, it, 
did such a crazy thing that I just was like, he wouldn't understand. And Whoa. I like started like oh. crying. And, and then my dad did not look angry. He looked shocked. I don't know how my dad, I still to this day, I remember how shocked his face is. And I wanted to be like, how, do, how well have I been presenting to you? Because I feel pretty gay. I yeah. mean, there's a lot of Pet Shop Boys blasting from that bedroom yeah. at the end of the hall. <laughs> like, um, and then, uh, yeah, and then we got sent home. Uh, and the counselor gave my dad a list of like therapists. So we went to like, Fan, uh, like a family therapist for a while, yeah. a very handsome woman named Sharon Sheriff. I swear to God, <laughs> the she, names you have are just. She had a very uh, and and we had a few therapy sessions. Um, I remember one where I talked about how free I felt doing like partial drag, going to Rocky Horror Picture Show, and I remember looking at my dad and just being like. He's a broken man. Like, I just, like, I don't know if he can really hear about, like, because she was very, like, tell me how you feel. No, 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 you're gay. Mm -hmm. And tell me what drugs you did. And after about three or four sessions, my dad didn't go to the next two or three. And then I just stopped going. And then shortly after that. So it was too much for him to handle. It was too much for him. And um, I think that, like, he made less money not doing the job that he had sort of partially quit. So he went back on the road and I moved to Seguin, which was the best, I mean, looking back, like, the best thing Mm -hmm. for me. And yeah, Um, what is your relationship like now with him? Do you guys still do you guys talk at all or no? It's a loaded question. I don't talk. I don't talk. uh, Yeah, yeah. uh, It's an interesting thing. It's um, you know, we've talked for a long time, and he accepted me. I mean, I do make a joke that for two years after that, I came out to my dad like twenty times. Like, like it was like gay Groundhog (laughs) Day. Like, still gay. She's really pretty, Dad. Do you like her? No, Dad. I'm just. I'm gay. I'm gay, not dead. Um, Are you an only child? Yeah. Oh, uh, so like all of his hopes and dreams were resting upon your shoulders. I think I think there was a little bit of that, and I also feel like m- you know my dad knows my hut. Well, we weren't married when, before we stopped talking, but like my boyfriend and was always kind to him. And you know my dad's a very like emotional person. I think the book was a lot for him. Mm-hmm. I think the book probably read to him. You know, he's private, and I, from my perspective, I painted a very loving portrait of a dad who like has his own issues but really is trying to understand and in the end really does come around like I really do remember the ways that he made me in his way feel like super accepted and Mm -hmm. but um I think the book was too much and it came out and within like two weeks of it coming out I just didn't hear back anymore I didn't hear get phone calls back emails I sent like a father's day present and it wouldn't get be accepted so I had to like call (gasps) Amazon and just be like can you change it so he doesn't have to sign for it um and then after about so sad. I'm so sorry. No, no, it down. no, 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 no. Um, this, is, this is about truth. Yeah, Thank and you. then, um, and yeah. So it's been about, God, it's been over two years, which is which is crazy because we stopped. You know, the the this was my first book, and it mm-hmm. was a real turning point in my life because then I started really touring with the Moth a lot, and I went to Australia and lived there for like a month hosting with them, and I got married. I had this horrible medical emergency where I had to I was in the hospital for like ten days because my appendix almost exploded in me and. <sighs> And then, like, I moved to Los Angeles with my, like all of these like really sort of big things happen, and it, it is very weird to think that this book was the start of them and the beginning of of him sort of like clicking off the relationship, and yeah. then you know, so yeah, it's it's bittersweet. But for all the ways it's done that with my dad, it I've always loved my mom, but we've never been closer. Like I mm-hmm. I feel like the she didn't know that I understood her the way that she did until, and for whatever reason. I mean, I know what reason. She's awesome. I got a cool mom. Yeah. But this like this, really like, deepened our, yeah. your relationship. Yeah. That, well, I mean, yeah. and you don't know. I mean, it's there's more 
there's more time ahead and your dad could come around and this could be like the middle of a sequence and you just can't see the the end of it yet or well it's weird you know a lot of people that are uh um disconnected from their parents you know i think some people are disconnected because they cut their parents off and then some people are disconnected from their parents physically right they lose them through death or alzheimer's mm -hmm. or whatever and i do feel like when i talk about this a lot people that go through that are immediately very much well you never know you could talk again and the strange thing is i don't hate my dad but i feel like there's a there's been i don't i i I would love to know what his life is like because mm -hmm. I wonder if it's not better. And I don't, and I know that sounds like very cynical, but like I don't really have a way. We, he doesn't really talk to anyone in our family, maybe my uncle on occasion. So mm -hmm. I don't have a way to check on him. Right. But I, I wonder if it isn't like I'm not really, I don't, I don't dislike him. I don't hate him, but I'm fine with the distance right now because mm -hmm. it seems like it's something that he wanted mm -hmm. and needs. So who knows what will happen? Um, yeah, well, I think no. that's very healthy, and you have, and and you're so lucky that 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 closure of that door was just an opening of the door with your mom, and also with your whole life and career, it just yeah. exploded. So yeah. yeah, it's like trying to it's it's it took me a while to like not let the bittersweetness of that connect to all the change because you know how you let you know how like um your wedding day you know like your wedding day is on the day that. Uh, David Bowie dies. So in your mind, you always have to like let your anniversary not be like, oh, it's right. also when it's kind of like that. Yeah. It's kind of like it took a, like a year of psychological work on myself to be like, I'm not gonna let that be connected to all the good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, but there's a good, there's an upside to breakups of all kinds in terms of your yeah. own personal growth. That's a good, uh, that's a good title for a, uh, a collection of, of writing. I have to tell upside you, David, to a I yeah. have a list of like thirty. Titles Aren't for titles memoirs. The best? Yeah, that's all I want to do yeah. is make titles. I was thinking about John Hodgman and how his books, like he's got like some lists and some little mm -hmm. like blurbs and whatever. And I was like, yeah, maybe I'll just make a whole section that's devoted to potential titles of memoirs, but not actually write them. Do it. I, I actually, so I'm, I'm writing. I finished the rough of one memoir and I'm halfway through the next one right now. And to 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 really finish them, I made table of contents. That was ah, instrumental in me being able yes. to finish the writing because, like, I could approximate what that section needed to be because it's memoir. I'm not writing fiction. I know, mm -hmm. like, the arc and where it ends. Mm -hmm. So I just made a title for it, and seeing the table of contents for, like, something that doesn't exist yet was, like, so... That's brilliant. It really worked. That's it like really helped me finish. How, uh, like, booking a date for uh, a yeah. solo show before it's written, and mm -hmm. then you have to write up to that. I mean, otherwise yep. I never would have done it, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's get into the meat of it. Would you okay. like to select some poetry? Sure, sure. I feel like this whole this thing went much darker than I thought. It's um, totally fine. Yeah, okay. This is it, just this, how it goes sometimes. Like, sometimes, it... sometimes people come from... Uh, you know, weird places. Like we've had people who like grew up in cults on the show, and oh. the last time, uh, our last episode, uh, a woman talked about her obsession with Jonathan Taylor Thomas that like destroyed her entire life and all Wait, of her who friendships. Was this? Adrian Finkel. Oh no, I've heard that. Jonathan Taylor Thomas is a destroyer. Let's just he let's didn't just do be anything real. though. It was yeah, her. Did he? And <laughs> <laughs> did he? I mean, I guess he had his imaginary clutches around her. But I love that he has. I've only found out recently because he um, lived in Silver Lake. Uh, oh, really? Uh, apparently. Interesting. Because I've only really dug in, because I have a podcast now called A, uh, a Special Presentation mm -hmm. uh, with Jonathan Bradley Welsh, and we dig into, um, also uh, engineered uh, by Veronica Kruba, who's like looking the at us now, lovingly, taking photos and making us sound pretty. Um, and um, yeah, it, 
I was not uh, into the Jonathan Taylor Thomas thing. Like I didn't, mm-hmm. I was like older then and I didn't get, and I was like, why are these girls? And I'm only finding out now through doing the show and like doing episodes where we talk about like 90s retro, girls loved him. Yeah. What, I don't get, like what is it? He He's was such a, like he seems to me just like an adorable, like a, like a little boy. Like Yeah, but we were little girls. Yeah, but he seems like one of those eternal little, like... I gotta tell you, you should look up a picture of him now because he is pretty good looking. Is he pretty good looking? Yeah, he grew he he really grew into it. Girls liked cute cute faces. See, when I was the age that you're talking about, I'm a little older than you, I think. And I, I remember, don't get me wrong, I get it. Like I remember watching like Mackenzie Aston on The Facts of Life mm-hmm. or Ricky Schroeder on Silver Spoons and having that feeling like, oh my God, I would love to have a slumber party with him because I didn't really process what mm-hmm. I was actually feeling right. just yet. But I remember having that feeling. But there's something about them that seemed like it was like a post, post-child a little bit. That's like because you were, were – but like at the time that JTT became a thing, <laughs> like I was still slightly younger than him. How old were you when he – I know. I, I feel like him. I'm like – I feel like I'm two or three years younger than he is. Ma- okay. Am I? Or we might have been the same age. What? Okay, so I'm one year younger than him. But the point Veronica is Veronica just knows he's born in eighty <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah. She's uh, like, I was, no, I was on my phone. Nope. She just knew. So she just but it's knew. it's kind of the same way that like, for instance, you know how Justin Bieber became a huge thing? Like I Ugh. look at him and I'm like, ew, like gross. He's just like a dopey puppy boy. But yeah. the girls who are his age probably see what? Jonathan Taylor Thomas grew up good. I know, he's hot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's he's pretty cute. I know, I really want to get him on our live show. That would be. From a distance, to be fair, just from this one picture, like if he was far away, I would have to do that second guest thing before I got really excited because it might be a very put together lesbian. Yes, absolutely. I will say. Like absolutely. I can't. Absolutely. But, but that's um, the thing. Like he, when he was younger, he was always very pretty. I don't know. Yeah. But he also had great hair. And yeah. just a really just yeah, he's got good hair. Just cute and like friendly. I wasn't obsessed with him. I, I but I had a lot of friends who were obsessed with him. I, yeah. yeah, I mean that's him on very recently. Pretty look at cute. The, it's the dimples. Pretty it's cute. The dimples. Um, last man standing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, we could talk about John <laughs> all day long. Yeah. No, I uh, I liked John Cusack a lot. Like, and and, and another one. I, another one I didn't get as a crush. Well, I don't know. I just like the the really the dark features and the yeah. pale skin and the yeah. 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 I've never been into blondes. I don't like blondes really either. Yeah, Ricky Schroeder is an outlier for me <laughs> as an 11-year-old boy um, when I was also 11, just to be clear. Yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, God. The times are very interesting right now. I, like, lately I have become so aware. I'm a toucher. Like, if I know you, yeah. if I me know too. you, like, I'll be like, oh, my God, how are yeah. you? And there's and a lot of, like, And now you're like, maybe oh, yeah. I can't do and, that anymore. And now I'm like, have I been accosting people? I mean, no, and I don't mean that. I I'm not making a joke to downplay the genuine actual, like, groping and assault. But I am saying, like, you know, people's frames of experience and their reference are very different. different. Exactly. I was was just talking to Veronica earlier, and this is kind of like a side way from this show, but uh, that there's this huge discussion opening up uh, and the differences between uh, flirting and, like, inappropriate. And the line is different for lots of women because for me and maybe it's it's because of my experiences of knock on wood I have been very lucky with kind men in my life who have not taken advantage of me and also I'm not usually seen as a sexual object because I look like a round squirrel but like I (laughs) I I don't take offense to things that I find out other people are like that is way out of line so I don't know you know maybe I'm part of the problem well I heard you're not a part of the problem I I mean, mean maybe I'm just I'm just like 
uh, a straight cis male in a woman's body? Yeah, but I mean, I know a lot of straight cis males that have added. Well, no, I, I don't. It's very complex right now. It is. It is. I'm just going to be careful with my touching to make sure it's not the bad touch. You can always touch me, David. I do oh. not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. God, yep. And right. that, that's recorded. So now, whatever happens, that's I've right. done nothing. It's on the record. It was That was consent. It's recorded. That's right. Um, <laughs> well, one thing I was talking, and then we'll, we'll move on. One thing I was talking to someone the other day, and they were like, and they made a joke, and it kind of bothered me at first. But they were like, you know, sometimes the difference between what, what I think some of these people would report as assault wouldn't be if the person doing the exact same thing was super fucking hot. Yeah, that's and, the truth. And And I'm like, well, I hear you, but... What kind of person assumes that they're so hot they can do that to anyone? Right. A sociopath. A a sociopath. Well, or just somebody who has been raised to think that that they can do or have whatever they want. Yeah, a sociopath. Never never learned otherwise. Yeah, like if that behavior is met by someone, they're like, wow, let's get it on. Well, good for you. You scored. Your intuition was correct. Your slightly too close space invading worked out for you. (laughs) Uh, If you do that and it doesn't work, then you've assaulted someone. So don't do that. Find another right. way. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Pass yeah, notes. Real roll pass of the notes. Dice, Let's you take know? it way back. We're gonna pass notes. We're gonna court each <gasps> other. Will the note be the? Um, oh yes. The, yeah. Yeah. What the, is it? Uh, that's the, uh, the thing with your hands. That's the a fortune teller. Yeah. That's a fortune teller. Oh, but the, the other the, one. The other ones are the ones are very folded. close because you gotta fold it. You gotta fold it like in a line and then curve it. So I love you that can thing. Turn it into like a tucked in piece of paper. That really. That really takes me back. As as does the crow. By the way, your mention of the crow earlier really took yeah. me back to some wonderful angst. Remember that time? It was like the 90s. They were really trying to make goth mainstream. You had that, Dark yep. City. Hot Topic was just beginning Hot to rear its head. Hot Topic. Now it's just, you know, that's where you got your Led Zeppelin shirts uh, in, the, in the latter half of the 90s um, have you, as well. Have you, you know that 33rd and a 3rd book series where it's like yes. someone writes a book about an album? I, yes. I have one about Tom Waits. Oh, great. Get the, there's one on the Nine, Nine Inch Nails Pretty Hate Machine. Uh, so it's basically a series where like uh, any author can write a book about an album and they can do it any way they want. And the one about Pretty Hate Machine is actually done as like a deconstruction of like the Rust Belt depression and like oh, the wow. commodification of like darkness and blackness and goth culture and hot topic. Ooh. It's so good. Oh, you, I... Lisa, you just made me a note yeah, that but has a little. There's nothing in it. There's nothing in it right now. So, she was just showing wow. you how it was done. But that you're, was. You're good at this. That was part. You know. So I couldn't do stuff yes. like this. You could. Oh, you diagonal totally could. Fold. It's perfect. It's perfect. And there's nothing in it? I don't need to read it? You don't, you don't oh, need to read no. it? You don't, you're going to toss it like a piece of trash? Write, write me a nice note. I mean, when I was in high school, <sighs> the nice notes would have like pictures of like you know, Ouija board planchettes and silhouettes of crows on it. Don't just give me You have a lot my, of work to do here. My notes were like peace signs and yin-yangs and like smiley faces with weird <clears throat> hair. Fraggle hair. That's okay. adorable. Read. Fraggle was my nickname. We can talk about so, that later. Okay, so when I moved to Seguin, the small town, uh, the Primitive Baptist Cemetery Population was, what, by the way? Oh, my God. I don't even know. Like, tiny. Five. I mean, tiny. It's grown up a lot. I mean, they have a Walmart now. Wow. You know, um, so it's getting there. Um, and they had, and to be fair for Texas, it's not, like, tiny. It did have a strip with, like, a McDonald's. I mean, it had, you know, like a an outdoor mall. Malls and finger quotes, if you could be here. It's no mall. Um <laughs> But anyway, so when we moved there, yeah, that summer, uh, I was really bored in my room. I only had a few hits of acid from San Antonio and a little bit of weed, so I really couldn't um, uh, uh, alter my mind in any way, shape, or form. But one night, I uh, 
So I kept a journal called Claude. Uh, right, it, we talked oh, about this that I had Dimitri and he had Claude. And yeah, yeah. All the all, most of the entries were letters to Claude. Um, it was a yellow bound notebook, and it said Claude on the front, and then scrawled under Claude was Depeche Mode rules, <laughs> spelled R U L Z. I really should have brought it. It's somewhere in the garage. Um, Amazing. So anyway, um, so I wrote a lot of dark poetry in that, and then we moved to Sigi, and the dark poetry really took like uh, really just got really really intense. This is a poem, if I remember correctly, that. One night, I waited for everyone to go to sleep in my boring house, cows included. I had a stepsister and stepbrother. They went to sleep. And I took my journal, and I took a hit of acid that was like this ha- hit of acid I had from San Antonio that my friends almost gave me as a going away. Like, you're going to die out there. At least enjoy it. Here's a hit of acid. Um, and I went to the Primitive Baptist Cemetery, oh and God. I took a candle like from the house. Oh, my God. And I took acid. And it was right by the highway, but there was a grove of trees, so no one could really see me in there. And I went and I sat like near like a baby tomb because it was full of baby like baby tombstones from like the mid eighteen hundred like it was an old cemetery yeah. like late eighteen hundreds, and I wrote I wrote all night tripping on acid and um, this is a poem that I wrote that I read the next morning it is awesome. called Ode to the Deranged. <laughs> you sit quiet like ice, a mangled mind to mold all day, a savage feral dream repressed your tongue and left you mute. Shocked by morbid imagery, locked in Catatonia. I don't know where Catatonia is. I don't know if there's a kayak deal to Catatonia. Um, no, catatonic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I know what I meant. I know what I meant. A place to stay, not visit. A place to dream, <laughs> not voice. A place to build a black brick home where you calmly arrange Aunt Laura's remains <laughs> on the entrance hall wall. I don't have an Aunt Laura. I don't know who that is. I don't know so, who I was thinking about. There's on acid. Aunt Laura somewhere. Languid, comatose, you peer through sugarcane windows to view the cadaverous children choking <laughs> and gagging in the swampy mud and clawing at the dying sun. Oh my God. <laughs> Covered by smoky funnel clouds that cry on your black brick house from tea to wine all the time. <laughs> I think that's a fancy way of saying from breakfast to dinner. Um, ripping the shingles from your caved-in head and tearing at the burgundy drapes, the same shade and color as your untidy cerebrum, dismantled and repaired by a lifeless mechanic who's replaced all the parts except the motor and the spirit. Now the wheels don't turn and nothing is learned. You sit in repose in lethargic tranquility, I weep on your roof, and I cry for the death of your soul. <laughs> oh. Wow. That is really, <clears throat> really well done. Oh. That is really well done. Like, there are some very beautiful turns of phrase in there. And dark, yes. And I don't know what it's about. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah. beautiful. Um, yeah. Yeah. Also, I think it's really impressive that you were able to focus and write while you were tripping on acid. Like all I would want to do is is like touch grass and smell things. Well, I'd never been alone on acid. We did acid as like a, a club, like going yeah. to the like teen club to dance to like KMFDM. Like mm-hmm. we didn't like I had never been alone and altered in that way. Like so completely and utterly alone. Yeah. Like so I uh, so maybe who knows? Maybe I I'm a 42-year-old struggling writer trying to finish a book. Maybe that's the key all over again. I just need to get a few sheets of acid. Listen, I mean, I've done a lot of uh, research about hallucinogens and how they can open our minds, so I'm not opposed no, to it. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I'm, plan- I'm planning a mushroom journey the first Sunday of uh, December. Oh, really? Where? 
Um, we're, I think that my friend Amanda and I are going to go up to Ojai and do an Airbnb. Mm, that'll be nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you're... You're a you're a, a writer who veers towards the flowery. Yes. There's this other poem. I won't read the whole thing. No, do it, do it, do it. Well, it's like three paragraphs. Do you want me to do it? I was going to ask you about a passage to see if you had an idea of what it meant, either of you. Okay. Let's go for it. Okay. Uh, let me just actually skip through. <laughs> this is my favorite activity. Actually, you know what? I'm just going to read it. It's three paragraphs. It'll be quick. And then at the it's end, fine. there's this passage I've never understood, and I want to know what I was thinking, so help me. Okay. Fire hydrant red, the pain in my eyes, the lids a vicious blur of colors and hate. Some good dreams appear in the passing time as I levitate through the hills and into a ragged plaid caravan full of streaming blue silk and soft skin Indian babies. Okay, <laughs> what? All right. Well, that's not even the passage I want to ask you about, but what's happening? It's fire and ice of some sort, because you were talking about right. the fireman and then you went into this like soft blue... Uh, oh, place I think with it just sounds like a stream of consciousness, like Indian as babies. you're, as you're. Oh, I'm sorry. Like as you're getting high, coming up, like your bloodshot eyes, and then you float up into cool another world, another dimension. Layer of you, Indian babies. Well, when I think about a caravan and babies, I think about like um, <laughs> I think about. Do you think about them often? <laughs> together, <laughs> I think about Lewis and Clark heading west uh, in their covered wagons across the plains. Maybe you're. You're back in time and history and well, traveling west. I think the addition that's about to come up will maybe add okay. some. Uh, uh, he sits at the back among the sleeping children, pondering Venn diagrams and notions of peace. We speak like angels, whispering promises and ideas, tying trailing emotions in knots, throwing sand into the breeze, cutting clad crystal in effervescent cultivation, crawling up from pits of suicide contemplation. <laughs> Hello. Uh, okay, I see two two very dark, bothered souls in like the back of the bus who okay. only have each other to yeah. cling to. Right. And, and right. as the bus moves forward, they 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 have some. You know, they're they're under the cover of the like a like a school a bus. Is, yeah, babies, but like also shadow. Mm-hmm. Like there's, it's blue in there, but it's also very dark. So like they oh, there's only like some light on their faces as they contemplate. It's really romantic to it hear is. you describe it. Well, it I mean it sounds like shit that I wrote about like m- boys who I was fantasizing about like really connecting with them at the soul level, like mm-hmm. bonding with them at the soul level, and um and those were just those words were just like feelings that yeah. were you know exploding out of my heart but also center. the transient nature of it, it because they're on a bus so this mm-hmm. may not be i made up ju- the bus part oh the bus. well there's the there- caravan <laughs> there's a caravan of babies it's a caravan in of my babies. mind it's more of, it was always more of a covered wagon yes, or a wagon, wagon. Oh, either way wagon. it's a tr- you're in transit the, and so the, it's a fleeting can, like yes i mean covered wa- uh, listen uh buses are modern day covered wagon but like <laughs> You're sitting in the back. You're sitting in the back of whatever it is with all these babies or people who don't understand, <laughs> so who couldn't stupid. possibly understand, and they can't even comprehend. Can't comprehend. The feelings and that meanwhile, you're having. they have no idea that in the back of this caravan or bus or whatever that you're ha- you're making suicide packs and talking about the real nature of life. I, you know, I mean, yeah. you could get me a book deal with that deconstruction with this writing. Uh, I mean, no, you really couldn't. It's it's not very good at poetry. It needs a gear lot of work. It, gear it towards young adults. Make it two young adults I, doing this. I'm pretty good at justifying anything. That's what's that's what comes with being an English major. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do like the fire nice. Something I've never yes. noticed. Yes. And I do like the idea that it's in transit. Something I've I've never noticed. Surprise. It does. Don't don't you feel like? Because I get this from your writing too. And I don't know where you were in terms of the moody scale of things when you were young. I was moody enough. 
But wasn't it, I mean, don't you just feel like that, my writing, what you read, like, there was this thing when you were young that if it was sad, it must be true. Yes. Yes. You know what yes. I mean? That's yes. That's why I love Tom Waits so much, because yeah. I was so, I felt so low yeah. that, like, and his music it gets you at such a low frequency that you can, it's more tangible because yeah. it's really, like, and you're feeling it in, right in there and, like, your center. It's tangible, and also, I mean... And I don't remember if I've told you this before, but but my whole my upbringing, like, and the way that my my parents are, like, you know, Russian Jew, the sense mm-hmm. of Russian Jews, mm-hmm. and like, sadness is reality, and that the the mindset of people who are happy are missing something. Mm-hmm. People who are happy are like dumb in mm-hmm. some way, mm-hmm. um, and it's a really difficult story to shake. But I I did the the older I get, the more I realize that like the parts of spirituality and religion that my mother believes are all the negative ones, but God mm. forbid it's like a positive note about like th- how the universe works. She thinks it's, it's bullshit. Well, I, I mean, I still have, that's a voice, especially since moving to LA that I have to be careful of that. That's something I still fight with the idea that mm-hmm. someone who's happy or gleeful or at peace is somehow n- not as intelligent because mm-hmm. I do. It's false. Yeah. Right. But it's a thing that I think if if that happiness comes, especially if it comes from a place of like some sort of religious or spiritual discovery or journey, mm-hmm. I get like really suspicious of it. And it's something I'm trying to be mm-hmm. better at. And mm-hmm. I think for me, a lot of that, at least for me, is connected to being gay and feeling like mm-hmm. growing up, like religion was there to punish me. Right. Like I still know that even though like I, I you know, I meditate and I read about Buddhism and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a little more open to the concept of like, souls or energy outside of us I still like there's still a part of me that's like they want to kill you that's a skeptic because (laughs) because religion was like the status quo and you didn't fit in you didn't see yourself fitting into the status quo same with me same with like most artists Mm -hmm. do you know what I mean so and also there is something about sadness at least for me and I don't know if you guys felt this too but I mean also I have always I've been depressed since I was eight so uh I feel it in my body. I know exactly what it feels like. And happiness, like, I just feel like that kind of, the kind of euphoria you'd have to have to match that in terms of a level of physical feeling in your body is so rare. Like, contentment is one thing, but I really like feeling big things. And I did, obviously, when I was little, too. And it's easier to come by that real tangible feeling of sadness than a real tangible feeling of joy. Well, yeah, and I think that that's I think that's one thing that a lot of people who write nonfiction and create nonfiction are looking for. Right, they're looking for the big feeling that they can communicate in the art, and I think sometimes that's where things get tricky with truth. Mm-hmm. You know, people have a lot of questions like, "Well, did it happen exactly like that?" Well, no, it's probably it's probably a little sadder, a little happier, a little more explosive, a little more threatening. Like I think whenever you mm-hmm. put anything true on the page, it's that part of you that's looking for that. Big feeling that you're right. talking yeah. about, right? Um, because our lives aren't full of day to day, you know. Like people like Louis. Oh God, I hate even bringing. I can't even referencing him now. Is its own. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's anyway, loaded. anyway, Louis C.K. I'll just get out of the way. He's a person that talks about the mundane mm-hmm. in a way that he makes like my daughter burped or whatever mm-hmm. into this. I mean, comedians do it too. Mm-hmm. But I think that that's kind of what you're looking for. And can we just erase that I brought him up, Jesus? Why? He... Oh, it's okay because like ultimately he. Uh, you know, is a shit human, but 
was quite good at what he did on yeah. stage. Being a oh. shit human. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he talked about being a shit human. Turns out, though, that that wasn't he just his stage persona. It was his yeah. real persona also. But um, that's what I love about a lot of comedians who are excellent. We don't have to use Louis as an example, but like many comedians who I love um, take like the little moments and mm-hmm. really mine them for for like well, the bigger picture of like fuck my life. If mm-hmm. you it's it's the difference between saying something that happened and implementing an emotional register in the event that's happening and why it relates to you so importantly that you're saying it right now. And if it's mundane mm-hmm. and then you care that much, it's like tickling the this, you know, broader thing. It's yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's very I mean that's the other thing. It's very important uh, there's a saying that John Ford says, uh, if you have to print the truth or the legend, print the legend or mm-hmm. the myth or the truth. And the legend is just the truth, but with bullet points and like uh, sort of modulating the event so that it actually has those those very important moments. What do you mean? Like yeah. turning turning regular everyday things Ratching into a larger... Well, yeah, you're, you're choosing what yeah. moments or what things about it to highlight. And the way like Edgar Wright will shoot a montage of somebody getting ready for work and it's like... Vroom, sh- and it's like all these really dynamic. It just make it dynamic. That's I, what you're doing. I really, I really want to. I've been saying this for like a year, so I really need to do it. I really want to dig in and read some interesting theory around the idea that we like build our truth because mm-hmm. I know that this is a concept among just people in life, but like especially amongst like writers and nonfiction, even documentarians, like this idea. I love that it's human nature, and especially I'm from Texas, like home of the tall tale. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's human nature to do that thing. You know, this is an example. I've actually, actually might have used it in class, but you know, pe- some people are worried about lying because some people will say like, "Oh, I think it'd be more powerful if my grandmother died at the end." I'm like, "Is she dead? Because yeah. if she isn't, that's not nonfiction. Don't yeah. do that." No, no. But absolutely. people, some people will not want to lie, but get worried they will, huh? Because of their their feeling. And I always talk about like getting stuck in an elevator. Like, you get stuck in an elevator, it's five minutes, right? Later that day, you tell someone, and you're like, oh, my God, I was stuck in an elevator for, like, 15 minutes. It was so right. frightening. And then two weeks later, someone's like, oh, my God, weren't you stuck in an elevator? Yes, it was, like, half an hour. Yeah. yeah. They weren't bringing you right. And then a year later, you were stuck in an elevator once, and you could have died, and it was, like, an hour and a half, <laughs> right. right? And I think that that's just because when you're a person who recognizes that life, for the most part, is mundane, you want to express your experiences with big feelings. It's mm-hmm. just natural. It's just what people do. That's, like how they communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm fascinated by that. And yeah. I'm fascinated by the way that it actually rewrites your history. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm actually interested in the way that then the movie you see of that, and then it, then it is real, yeah. right? Through, like, multiple tellings. And I just, yeah. That well, is. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's the basis of storytelling. Mm-hmm. The cave drawings, the, the mammoth that chased you was huge yeah. well, on the all, wall. We all want to yeah. get attention. So it's like, can you believe this happened? You know, mm-hmm. and we're yeah. afraid that if it's not dramatic enough that people will just glaze over and not care. Yeah. 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 Um, we have to wrap this up. I'm sad to say, David, because I could talk to you for several, many hours. It was so fun and so goth. I really enjoyed yeah. your company. Yeah. I, I have a, a gift for you uh, from my uh, my childhood bedroom Uh um i give a gift to all of my guests you know and uh this is from my extensive pencil collection this is a very important one that i think you will appreciate 
It's a troll. It's a troll. It's a troll pencil. pencil. And it's not even Topper. sharpened. No, I didn't sharpen any you. of my pencils. It's for you to sharpen and use. Yes. Oh, look at the pen going up his little butt. Always a I weird know. thing about trolls we never talked about. But anyway. Yeah, um, they're naked. Thank and you so much. Very, You're so yeah. welcome. Orange Thank hair. You. Thanks, guys. David Crabb. Everybody check out his book, Bad Kid. And if you're in Los Angeles, see him whenever he performs. Uh, anything particular you'd like to plug? No, um, a very special uh, a special uh, presentation is uh, the podcast that I have that you can uh, find. And this won't come out till December, right? Yes. Uh, my show will be over. But my birthday's on the 13th. If anyone wants to just shoot me a nice message, it'll be <laughs> like, hey, man, happy 38. I'm going to be 43. But anyway, yeah. 38 forever. Yeah, yeah. Besides that, no, I'm good. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you, David. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on the bitch seat. Bye, you guys. Thanks, David. And for the rest of you guys, treasure, treasure what, what got, got you, you here. here. History's greatest artistic works. Citizen Kane. Hamlet. The Flare Steamboat Trilogy. We'll only be discussing one of these on our new podcast, The Best There Ever Was. We discuss the art of professional wrestling and the emotional connection that brings us back to it. On season one, we're talking about the greatest matches ever by members of the WWE Hall of Fame. But definitely not Coco Beware. I'm Fax. And I'm Chris. And join us, the Curtain Jerk, as we discuss wrestling's greatest matches on The Best There Ever Was on the Atlantic Transmission Network. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production. Hey!